Kierkegaard designed spaces with careful consideration for sound and visual display. We are acoustics and audiovisual systems consultants that collaborate with architects where sound and communication are critical to the end user's experience. We have deep expertise with a broad range of project types and are world-renowned for our performance facilities and beautiful sounding spaces. Our team is committed to serving the communities where we are based, including St. Louis. Learn more about us at Kierkegaard.com. Welcome, everyone, to Build St. Louis, the regional podcast that's capturing and sharing the very heartbeat of design, construction, and development. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, owner of Information Works. And with us in this episode are two very special guests. First, Brian Corey, who is an acoustic consultant and partner at Kierkegaard, an acoustics and integrated systems design firm. And also joining us today is Unity Call, who is vice president of marketing and audience experience for the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. And today's topic, I'm so excited about. It's the greatly anticipated renovation and expansion of one of St. Louis's true artistic jewels, Powell Hall, the longtime home of St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. Brian Corey's firm, Kierkegaard, is leading the acoustical and systems design for the Powell Hall renovation and expansion. And certainly Unity is here to tell us about how this will augment, to use a musical term, the unique experience for every audience member in every seat. So welcome, Brian and Unity. We're so excited to have you on this episode of Build St. Louis. Thank you, Carrie. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's dive right into our topic today, which is augmenting the audience experience at Powell Hall. And I know our listeners are just ready to learn specifically anything the two of you are able to share about the great plans and the thoughtful plans to redesign this treasured space. So let's jump right in. Unity, if you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of a background on this endeavor. From my research, I understand that this renovation expansion is really the first one that's been done since Symphony first called Powell Hall its permanent home back in 1968. Is that correct? That is correct. And the building was built in 1925 as a theater, the St. Louis Theater. So, you know, there have been a couple little refreshes here and there, but essentially the building is as is since 1968. The seats are the same, the carpets, the drapes, and honestly, you can tell at this point. (laughs) Sure. I can't imagine how excited not only you all are, but guests and those who perform in Powell Hall. I can't imagine the buzz that's taken place with this, the announcement of this project. Absolutely. And I think some people have expressed concern that we will touch the beauty, the architecture that everybody loves, but no, absolutely not. Part of this project is to really preserve this civic treasure. And it is on the National Historic Registry as of 2001. And what we're doing with this expansion project is to really, like you said, augment the space. We're doubling 65,000 square feet now. We're adding 65,000 square feet. And it's really not only to preserve Powell Hall, to preserve the wonderful acoustics and enhance the acoustics, as Brian will talk about, but also to enhance the audience experience, the artist experience, and to create a state-of-the-art music center for the community. Well, it's just so, so very exciting in such a bustling corridor too of grand and just all that's taken place around it as well. Brian, I can only imagine the design and systems construction intricacies and challenges inherent in modernizing this treasured venue. How do you just take a bite out of the apple? How do you just begin a discussion like that? 
for a project of this immense scope? Well, I mean, for our sake, it was just being brought in to kind of, again, as Unity pointed out, making sure that the acoustics, the great acoustics that were designed into the space in the 68 renovation are maintained. And so really, that's why we were engaged so early is because the symphony always had on their mind, whatever we do, this is critical to whatever we end up doing in the project. So that's really why we were engaged early on in the project. Sure, that makes sense. Do you just, Brian and Unity, feel free to share your perspective on this, but you just bring in so many stakeholders. I can't imagine you probably have patrons, you have musicians, you have a slew of experts in the acoustics field, such as Kierkegaard. And just, I can't imagine the breadth of voices that you bring into that conversation to get started. You're absolutely right. We're also working, as you know, with world-renowned architecture firm Snoheda, which is incredibly exciting. Locally, the architect of record, Christner. We're working with Schuler Schuch, theater planning consultants, and BSI. I mean, there are so many, so many experts involved in making this project happen, in addition to the stakeholders. So there's a task force that really started this project years ago, shortly after Marie-Ellen Bernard joined the symphony as president and CEO in 2015. And the anecdote that I hear is that when she was coming to visit Powell Hall, when during the recruiting process, before she started, she was amazed to see so many men lining up outside the restroom, which is not a common occurrence, right? In most spaces. And she said, we've really got to deal with this. And the truth is the building was not designed as a symphonic hall, like I mentioned. And even if you think about what a movie theater was back in 1925, you know, movies are playing constantly. People are coming and going. Our needs are so much different now. So it was really her coming on and working with the board and the buy-in and then an incredible task force, stakeholders. And it's, as you know, multi-year project to get to the point that we are today. And we broke ground just in March, 2023. Okay, I was going to ask you that. That's good yeah, to know. And I think and well, Brian I was just, talked to that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm always fascinated by what Uni brought up is that people don't realize that the building was designed for a function that it isn't currently used. And this idea, I was always reminded of the phrase, this is where I came in. And that has to go to the film, which was just on a loop back when they used to watch the movie. So again, people, the flow of traffic would be that people would come and go as they pleased. And now the building, and that's kind of the footprint of the building, restroom circulation and lobby. And now it's this, we have this thing of this load in, load out all at the same time. And that really overwhelmed what the building was originally designed to do. So that always stands out as fascinating. And people forget that that's just how the building was used previously. Not to mention, there's really no backstage. I mean, it's shocking the lack of backstage area that we have and what the musicians and our guest artists have been able to make do with for years. So Right. We're bursting at the seams, essentially, for the number of seats that we have in the hall. And that's currently 2,683, which is actually very large in terms of industry standards in the symphonic world. If we have an incredibly full house, it's uncomfortable from an audience standpoint. You have to choose. Are you getting a drink? Are you going to the restroom? There's a lot that will improve with the addition. 
You know, I had that somewhere in my list of questions. I wondered how you kind of communicate that, which you did so beautifully here, according to industry standards in terms of seats. I wondered if anyone would say, hey, wait, you're removing, you know, whatever it is, 20% of the audience. But like you said, it's not totally about numbers of seats. It's about, again, it wasn't designed for what it's being used. It's for the kind of intimate experience of each individual guest, I would think. Not only that, but we are going to have more comfortable seats, more leg room, which people are very excited about. It's been actually kind of fun. Staff has been involved with seat testing and we take it very seriously. <laughs> we have to sit there for about two hours. The steepness even, I mean, from a safety perspective and accessibility perspective, we'll have more entrances, more railings, a less steep grade. Yeah, the fewer seats, I think, again, will really improve the experience overall. And I think we always prioritize our longtime subscribers. We have some subscribers that have been coming since 1968 and some people wow very attached to their seats. And so they're kindly coming with us on this ride as we go into other venues around town during this period. But we'll have a sort of priority system and really thinking through who gets their seats. I do think we'll be able to take care of our nearest and dearest, our loyal subscribers and donors. That's awesome. I'm sure you will. Ryan, talk a little bit about, it's brought into my mind as Unity was talking about the acoustics and quality of those for listeners. Talk a little bit about maybe noise mitigation. I know there's so many topics that we want to get into, but about how you make sure that with this renovation, the acoustics are such that patrons are hearing the performance and they're not hearing emergency responders headed down Grand or somewhere else. How does that work? Can you really kind of, how far can you mitigate that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, that is one of the current issues and is not as glamorous stuff. It's the disruptive stuff. It's the stuff that need to make the building work. And what I don't think people understand is that before a performance, the symphony facilities people run all over the building, turning off HVAC equipment and quieting it down and running it at lower speeds, turning off the backstage elevator, because all of these things are disruptive and make noise and would impact the performance. So a big goal was what can we do to eliminate or remove that equipment noise out of the process. So basically by having the expansion, we've moved all the equipment out away from the hall as, as far as we can get it and selecting new equipment that's quieter so that the source is not as noisy. So big measures like that have really helped us to make sure that the hall remains quiet. And recording is such a key thing for an orchestra that, again, having background noise could very well be an issue with that. In terms of other noise intrusions, such as the lobby space, and we have created sound vestibules between the hall and between the new lobby as well as the existing lobby so that the spaces can work simultaneously. There can be something out in the lobby while there's something going on in the hall without disruption. So by having the expansion, we were able to kind of implement all these ways to help reduce any future noise concern that currently exists in this space. Because wow. of our Nimble facilities team, you wouldn't know that the HVAC system is located under the stage, which is oh my goodness, crazy, yeah. That is crazy. Wish you could bring back those who put it together as a theater quite a hundred years ago and ask them. I'm sure their options were much fewer than what you all have today in and the redesign. Can you imagine just the technological advances? It's time for a refresh for our mechanical systems anyway. Definitely. Are there choices within the materials on the seats themselves, the walls? That There just needs to be so many choices so of many. materials. Okay. <laughs> 
Every little detail is really being thoughtfully considered. And I'm relatively new. I joined the symphony last August. So I'm coming in at a pretty late stage and I'm impressed with how far we've come and what's going on. I mean, it's honestly part of the reason that I was so interested in joining the symphony. But yes, every little choice, every little material, it's important. All of these sources are important. And we're really thinking about longevity. This is a many generation project. It's impressive. I bet. And I will, I'll just quickly add too that the lighting, in addition to the acoustics, the lighting is another aspect of the, the concert experience that we'll be updating dramatically. And that that's very exciting to me too. Sure. I have to ask, are you thinking of changing the colors interior-wise or you're sticking with any, if you can't talk about it yet, that's okay. I, mean, I, I just wonder if people are used to what it looks like, but I mean. Love, I, yeah, people love the hall and we're sticking with our iconic red. We're not okay. getting rid of okay. the red velvet. We're not getting rid of the chandeliers. I mean, we do have this incredibly beautiful contemporary addition. And so it's a mix of new and historical, but we certainly are preserving the beauty of Powell. That's awesome. Brian, in terms of your scope of work and your specifications of design, are you limited at all by the fact that it is a structure on the National Register of Historic Places or does the project team, does that not impact, I guess, the choices that the project team is making? I mean, it does. So carefully considered all of that. And that falls a lot on the architect as part of the design. Our position here, again, was number one, to maintain the great acoustics, while at the same time, number two, looking for opportunities that may be to improve the acoustics. So pieces of our scope that I think people might find more interesting because it's less about the disruptive stuff and more about your experiencing of the orchestra that played into having to look at changes to the hall was number one, we really researched the hall. We did a lot of acoustic internal testing. We did a lot of that kind of testing helped us calibrate a 3D model of the space acoustically that then allowed us to do further studies. And this along with going and listening to various seats in the hall while the symphony was performing, in addition to, again, a lot of interviews with musicians and staff to understand why historically the hall is performing so well acoustically and why it's so much loved. And through that process, we came up with some studies that made suggestions for improvements. And two in particular that I think will really impact the space and enhance the space have to do with the sound on the stage and also the sound coming from the stage to the orchestra, the orchestra level seating, the main floor seating. And what's really the studies presented that people didn't realize that there was a strong sound coming back from the stage from the hall to the stage that was almost perceived as an echo. It was a strong reflection coming back and that was hurting with communication on the stage between the musicians. So as part of this, we worked closely with the architect to rebuild the rear wall of the main floor. So again, a lot of discussion about historics were built into what can we do? Because acoustically, you'll see bigger movement, bigger shapes, bigger ins and outs, larger scale ins and outs, along with some smaller scale horizontal 
shaping and vertical shaping that allows the sound to break up or spread so it's not such a strong reflection back to stage that lessens the presence. So that was, again, a move we made in the hall that really had to be looked at architecturally because we're redoing one of the wall surfaces. The other element that was closely looked at was that we realized that the sound coming from the stage to the main floor audience wasn't quite balanced. And that had to do with shaping of the walls closest in the audience chamber closest to the stage. And what we've done is we've worked closely with the architect to implement these low walls in just below the organ lofts on the each side of the audience chamber to, in a way, project sound more into the audience chamber so that you get a more balanced sound from the orchestra, specifically to the instruments in the front of the stage. So those were very closely looked at historically and how do you implement something new with, again, something historical. And it even went so far as to modeling it acoustically that we worked with the symphony to actually do a mock-up. So the contractor, we worked closely with them to build these elements in the space and then worked with the symphony while they performed on stage and brought the the musicians out on the stage and said, what difference do you notice with these elements? So this mock-up gave us the ability to hear something before we actually made this change. And it also gave the architect an opportunity to see what these elements would look like. And so it really was a lot of collaboration between architect, engineers, contractor, the symphony, and ourselves. So all to say, I think these elements will really enhance the acoustics that you'll hear on the main floor. How wonderful that, and I'm sure Unity, I see you nodding, that you just asked the experts in sound, which is, of course includes the project team members, but the musicians themselves and the conductor and to learn all those things about where the sound travels and where it doesn't. And that's so fascinating to me. And it just shows how much care and how much thoughtfulness is being put into this, not only from the perspective of a patron, but an active participant in music generation. That's great. Unity, did you want to add something? I saw you kind of nodding there. No, I mean, it's, I think this is a good example of, as you say, the thoughtfulness. And it's so important to consider the artist experience. We have artists that come in from all over the world. We attract such high quality musicians, conductors, our music director. I mean, it's really a core part of our institution and our mission is this high level artistic quality. So it's great. I wasn't here during all of this, but it's fascinating for me too, to hear everything that's been done. And, and I, I don't doubt it. I mean, acoustics are so important and our musicians are constantly, they were just touring in Europe, right? And people are always comparing halls. Some patrons are also tuned in to the acoustics, but the musicians know immediately when you're in a good hall and we have a great reputation worldwide for this hall. So it's very important what Brian and his team are doing. That's great. Brian, in terms of a rough project timeline and, you know, to feel free to jump into like sort of months and years or parts of years, like when did True, I don't know where to ask where you started from the start of maybe gathering input and putting that team together to when you first started to pre-design or design work and when, what's the sort of timeline on this whole effort? Well, the symphony probably goes back further, but they invited us to tour the space in December of 2015. So at that point, we met with Marie Helene and just were, she was just kind of talking through ideas of what that would be and, and asking if we did this, how does that impact the acoustics? If we did this, how does that impact the acoustics? Which later then we probably 2017, we completed an actual feasibility study where we started putting these ideas to paper and what that would be, as well as ideas 
ideas from our end of what might improvements might we do in the hall, in addition to then really going through and walking the space and talking with the symphony to understand what new spaces they would need. And so, yeah, I think it dates that far back, but I'm sure the St. Louis Symphony had earlier thoughts before they called us. Well, it's fascinating because Maria Lynn started her tenure here in July of 2015. So she jumped on this project pretty immediately. And I believe the board greenlit the project in 2017 and the Snow Hatta was chosen in 2019. And so, yeah, this has been a years long endeavor. And like I said, we broke ground in 2020 in March of this year. And we are anticipating spring of 2025. But honestly, with construction projects, we might want to give a buffer there. As soon as we're able, we'll get in and start performing for the community. Officially, our seasons usually run September through May, or actually even a little longer, September through June. But yeah, like I said, if we can get in there in the summer of 2025, we will. Great. And that brought up another question in my mind about where, you know, when the construction is taking place, will the symphony be having like sort of a regular season, but just shared in different venues or how are you kind of relocating them temporarily? Absolutely. We, our 23-24 season was announced in February and you can please visit our website. We are actually going on sale with single tickets in two weeks. We've been selling subscriptions for the last several months. We have an incredible season. Our core subscription concerts, we're going to be split between Stiefel Theater downtown and two Hill Performing Arts Center on UMSL's campus. But we'll also have a new series at the Sheldon. We'll have our ongoing series at the Pulitzer Arts Foundation. We will be at Linenwood University. We'll have a performance at the Basilica. And our, honestly, our community programs team is also performing all over the city. But yeah, our core core season is mostly divided between two Hill and Stiefel. And Stiefel is the only venue in town, aside from probably the Fox, that we can fit our choruses, our large, you know, film performances, anything that's really substantial with our 90 plus musicians. Wow. I was going to ask you how many regular musicians. So close to a hundred that have had no backstage area to speak of for years. Yeah. And even oh, our administrative staff, it's, we've been squeezed in there. The, the building is tall. So our dressing rooms, you have to take stairs and elevators and we've found ways to adapt, but it hasn't been ideal. Well, I unofficially remember seeing quite a few of those pockets and spaces in the hall because during my junior high and high school years, I was part of Music for Youth and we would perform at, I think it's still called Music for Youth, we would perform at Hall Hall. And that was our greatest delight. I'll bust myself now to say we would run around and just run around the building when we had intermission between dress rehearsals because we were so fascinated by as young people getting to be in a space like that. And we checked out many corners of the building, <laughs> officially and unofficially. But I can't. Yeah, it was really that was what I remember as much as making music there. But so exciting for all of you and for the project team members for Kierkegaard and other uh, Kristner and other partners and for BSI. I know they like to build special spaces and be part of nonprofit endeavors like this one. And and quickly speaking, I don't know if we mentioned the the Education and Learning Center. That's part of the expansion. So we have a youth orchestra and two resident choruses, and that will be a perfect opportunity for rehearsal space and program space. And it's a core part of what we do and who we are. We're very excited about that aspect as well. Yeah, I think the expansion is an interesting topic too. The Learning Center is 
something we looked at very closely, uh, again, to give really just to make it a highly flexible space. And when you're talking about music and other functions, the room will have this ability to be tuned to the function. And we work closely to in a way that more for musical use, such as the choir, such as the youth symphony, through operable acoustics, curtains hidden behind acoustically transparent walls that can deploy to absorb sound or retract to make the room more lively. So this gives the ability for SLSO to, when it's music, to be a little bit more live and present and engaging, but then also use the space for lecture banquet type spaces where you deploy the sound absorption curtains and the space becomes more controlled. So it's going to be a very highly functional space for both the function and the acoustics. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I forgot to ask about the expansion portion. Wow, that sounds so fascinating because as acoustics experts, you know, but it didn't occur to me how very, very different the conditions, optimal conditions would be for those different uses of the space. Oh, smart. Did you look to other performing arts venues that are already doing this, Brian, or did your firm already engineer similar acoustic improvements in other venues? I wondered if that's sort of a best practice is now. It certainly is at a professional level, at a university level, at even at a high school level, just making spaces flexible because you can't build sole purpose spaces anymore. And so a space really needs to do a lot and acoustics play into that because again, what you want for an orchestra rehearsal or choir rehearsal, it would give you that effect at a banquet rehearsal that you couldn't hear the person across the table from you talking. So again, it just goes to the flexibility needed. And again, so the symphony can use it for anything and anything. Wow. That's super exciting. Unity, did you want to mention briefly about if the capital campaign is still going on or if it's concluded or if people want more information of how they can support what's happening? Thank you for bringing that up. We are still in the quiet phase of our capital campaign, but we will be going public soon. We anticipate by the end of this year and more information will be coming on that. In the meantime, we do have a microsite dedicated to the project where you can see news and updates and see more of the renderings, learn more about both the renovation and the expansion. And you can find that at sloso.org slash Hall. And you can also ask questions in a little comment box and sign up to receive updates. We know that there are a lot of people in the community that are passionate about this project. That's great. So again, that was that URL was SLSO dot. Sorry. No, you're fine. Dot org for slash Powell Hall. You can also find it through our website, which is SLSO.org. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you both with us this morning. With us on this episode of Build St. Louis has been Unity Call, Vice President of Marketing and Audience Experience for the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, and Brian Corey, who is an acoustic consultant and partner at Kierkegaard, an acoustics and integrated systems design firm. And you both did a wonderful job of piquing our interest and increasing our our anticipation and our excitement to be able to, in a few short years, be sitting in a seat and greatly admiring and appreciating what you're doing today. Thank you for being on Build St. Louis. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. At Trivers, we believe that buildings can and should make a meaningful difference in their communities. We choose challenging projects, digging deep to solve hard problems. We seek sustainable solutions by repurposing more and wasting less. We create catalysts for change through hard work and ingenuity. Visit us online at Trivers.com to learn more. Trivers, creating architecture of lasting positive consequence.